We are in Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, and we're reading from verse 29. Now remember the context of the book of Hebrews. The writer is writing to believers. These are all believers in the faith. What he says to them, though, is that if you go back into the world, if you deny Jesus and go back into the world, you're going to die. He doesn't mean spiritually. He means physically. You're going to go back into Jerusalem. You're going to end up in Jerusalem in the 70 AD judgment period, and you're going to die. Physically, you're going to die. And this is actually very much like it is with us. If we as believers will drift back into the world... If you already know the Lord, you're not gonna, you're not gonna lose your salvation. But what will, you'll lose is it'll be hell on earth for you. Because the enemy will take your life and begin to, to toss it around like a rag doll. And I'll tell some stories, hopefully, as, as I get into the teaching of things that have gone on this week. In fact, there was a young man who had seen me speak a number of years ago at Texas A&M. And he really started to waver in his faith. And he wrote to me this week, and he says, you know, this past week, he says, you don't know me. This is my situation. I, I was active in, in uh, uh, the Navigators Campus Ministry, and I had other friends who were active in Crusades, and we used to get together, and we used to pray together. And now all of those friends are falling away. We've been out of school for several years, and they're sending me all this material, and I'm trying to read it to show them how wrong they are, and it's convincing me to drive to move away. And my wife's even saying to me, it looks like you're drifting away more than you're drawing them close. And I'm concerned because I see my friends' wives, just the turmoil that they're going through as their husbands are falling away from the faith. And the husbands, when someone is falling away from the faith, they're not content in just falling away quietly. They will take as many people with them as they can. And... and uh, it just took a few emails to him, a few emails, and he's stabilized and he's good to go. You just get them right back into the Word of God, right back into the Word of God. And at some point, you're going to be confronted by people who you think are great intellectuals, and they'll come with great intellectual arguments to try to draw you away from the faith. You know, there is rarely a day that there's not a book or journal article or something in my hand that I'm not reading. Just filling my brain with knowledge all the time. Many of these arguments against the faith of Jesus Christ, against the truth of the gospel, against the truth of the word of God, are fallacious. They are not true. And they draw away the people who are not scholars. And you think, oh, this is very, a very scholarly person, and, and, and they don't believe this. If you study these things, it is not that hard to dice up their arguments. And that's all it took, was I showed him a few things of the people that he was reading to show that, that they really didn't know what they were talking about. Men of God have studied this material, this book, for thousands and thousands of years. Jews have studied this for thousands of years. Christians have studied this for thousands of years. It is impenetrable. You take the Word of God and you begin to let it fill your life. There are things that will come in, and that's what we'll begin to look at today. In verse 29 of Hebrews chapter 11, By faith they passed through the Red Sea, as though they were passing through the dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been circled for seven days. By faith Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. 
So in verse 29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through the dry land and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. There are things that if you walk with God that you will do that the world just cannot do. Just cannot do. This particular instance, so this is referenced, if you turn to Exodus chapter 14, in Exodus chapter 14, you, you, can, you can actually see this account. And in Exodus chapter 14, it talks about how in verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land so that the waters were divided The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And then the Egyptians took up pursuit, and it talks about how the waters came back over the Egyptians. You've got about two million people at least. Two million people, that's like half the size of Houston, leaving Egypt. Because it says there were 600,000 men. So for each man, you have a woman, because statistically that's how they're born. All right? Got about half men, half women. And if you figure about two kids each, it was actually probably a lot more than two kids because their birth rate scared the Egyptians. But let's just say two million people. That means that this, this is not an alleyway opened up in the Red Sea where they're going through one at a time because they all went through in an evening. They all went through in, in less than a, than a day. So this is like miles wide that it has to open. It says the Lord all night he swept back the seas and it became like walls on each side. This is a huge area that has to open to get two million people to cross in a number of six or eight or ten hours. With their animals. There are things that happen that are miraculous. There are things that God can do through an individual life that unbelievers, when they try it, just cannot do it. The power of God is poured out. And this is what he's giving them. He says, and these things come upon our lives based on faith. And then the next thing that he recounted is he says, and the walls of Jericho fell down. So let's look in Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. And in Joshua chapter 6, verse 20, it says, so, and, and so it says that when it, they had been encircled for seven days. So they, they, they circled the city one time each day for six days. And on the seventh time, they circled the city seven days. So they circled the city 13 times. Now the city, if you look at Jericho, it's not like walking around Houston. It's probably about two blocks of two of these blocks. So, so it's not hard to walk around it. The cities weren't that big back then. They walked around this city, and I'd been to Jericho, so I've seen it. You can see the excavation where you can see the old walls. This is all dug up, and, and the stones are still there. And it says in verse 20, So the people shouted, and the priests blew the trumpets. Joshua chapter 6, verse 20. And when the people heard the shout of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city. Every man straight ahead, and they took the city. This is... Not only miraculous because the walls fell down, it says the walls fell down flat. The rocks are huge, huge stones. How do all those stones fall down flat so that each man can run straight ahead and take the city? If the walls just fall down, I mean, you've got to climb over a lot. There's a lot to get over. 
The ground must have opened up. It became flat, it says. It became flat. So that the people could run straight ahead. That's what the scriptures say. This is a miraculous over and over again by many counts. It's miraculous that occurred. Now let's, and the last one, it talks about Rahab. Let's go back to, uh, back, back to Hebrews chapter 11 and, and focus in on, on this verse concerning Rahab. Um, so it says in verse 31, by faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. This is what I love about the scriptures. It's so politically incorrect. They're still referring to her as Rahab the harlot. Yes, she was once a prostitute, but hey guys, let it go. <laughs> you know, let's keep bringing it back over and over again to remind us of where the Lord has taken her from. And this Rahab actually ends up in the lineage of Jesus. She is the great grandmother of King David. You read the lineages, she's the great grandmother of King David. And David is in the lineage of Jesus from Mary and from Joseph. But Joseph, remember, is not in the lineage of, of Jesus, and he cannot be, because later on, Jeconiah, one of the descendants of David from that line of Solomonic line, the line of the son of David, Solomon, was cut off. Jeremiah proclaimed that no one ever from the line of Jeconiah shall sit on the throne. And Jesus was not of Joseph's line. Joseph was the presumed father, but not the father. The father was God. But if you look in the genealogy, as it's written in Luke, that's the genealogy of Mary. And we know that's the genealogy of Mary because it uses the definite article, the Joseph, meaning his wife. So this is the, the line of Mary. And you look in the line of Mary, she's not of the Solomonic line. She is of David's other son, Nathan, follows that line down. And in that line, Rahab is also in that line because she's the great-grandmother of David. This is an amazing woman. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient. What's the problem? Why did all those people in Jericho die? Because of disobedience. Because they were disobedient. He's using this as an example to those people in, in, in living in Judea, saying, don't go back because of these pressures into Judaism or you're going to end up in Jerusalem, you're going to die. They died because of disobedience. You will die because of disobedience. And so let's, and, and, and after she had welcomed the spies in peace. So let's turn to Joshua chapter 2. The book of Joshua chapter 2. And that's going to, that's going to tell us about, uh, about, about, uh, this instance with, with, um, with Rahab, Joshua chapter 2, we'll take it from verse 1. Then Joshua the son of Nun sent two spies, two men as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and they came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab and lodged there. It was told of the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you. Who have entered your house, for they have come here to search out the land. So this is this has got to be true. This fits with every spy that I know. James Bond, Jason Bourne, all at some point in their careers, they were saved from death by going into the home of a pretty woman. Every one of them. And this is exactly what happens here. 
they go into this home of this harlot and, and, uh, uh, in Jericho. And then the king finds out they're in this home and he sends for them. Now look at what Rahab does in verse 4. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came, where they were from. It came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gate. Okay, so what does this woman do? She lies. She tells a lie. The king said, send them out. We want them. And she says, uh, they were here, but they left. I don't know where they went. They went out. They're gone. They went out. Go down the road there, down by the Jordan. You'll see them. This is what she did. She lied. She lied repeatedly. The New Testament calls her this obedient woman and refers to her as this woman of faith. In that chapter of the men and women of faith, puts her in the line, the lineage of Jesus. And mind you, every woman that is mentioned Every woman that is mentioned in the New Testament in the physical lineage of Jesus the Savior had some sort of, of, uh, uh, of, of real problem in their life, particularly a sexual problem. This woman being a, a harlot. And which goes to show that God looks especially, especially on those with sexual struggles. You know, I was just, just uh, uh, reading Bonhoeffer's book and... and uh, and he, he says that he, he, went, uh, he went to this, this uh, uh, church service and he saw in Italy these, these prostitutes and their men coming in to take the mass. And he thought it was so wonderful. He says, this is exactly what should be happening. That the prostitutes come in. That the men who are with the prostitutes coming in to take of the Lord. He says, the only one that I cannot fathom praying is the one who is engrossed in vanity. Yes, the one with the sexual struggles is the one who should be partaking of the Lord saying, Jesus, help me, Lord, help me. It's the one with pride. You wonder, why are they even praying? So they come and they, they, they come and she lies. She, she just flat out lies to them. And remember that I told you we see in the scriptures civil disobedience being honored for civil disobedience. Disobedience against the authorities in three instances. One, when it had to do with the preaching of the gospel. Another one that had to do with the accepting of the gospel. And a third one had to do with the immediate protection of human life. We saw it with the, with the, uh, with the, the midwives, where they would not kill the male children. And they, they lied to Pharaoh. They said, ah, oh, you know, the kid was born before I got there. You know, Israeli women are tough. These Hebrew women are tough. They're not like the Egyptian women. And God honored them for this. You may say, oh, well, you're teaching situational ethics. I have made no call on anything. I'm just saying what the scriptures teach us. If you have a problem with that, talk with God. But this is what the scriptures teach. 
Then he says, he, so now in verse 8 of Joshua chapter 2, Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore... Please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a pledge of truth and spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sister and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. So the men said to her, Our life for yours, if you do not tell the business of ours. And it shall come about when the Lord gives us the land that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. And that's how she ended up becoming a part of Israel. She became part of that community and then ended up in the line of King David. You say, oh, why wouldn't God keep the, the, the line of Jesus more pristine? Because he wants to demonstrate what he does through people. And that gives us hope. He says, now before they lay down, in verse 8, she came to them on the roof and she said to the men, the men, I know that the Lord, this is Yahweh, this is not some general God out there, I know that Yahweh has given you the land. She knows this. She knows something. She says, I know that Yahweh has given you the land. This is treason, what she's committing here. She's going against her own city. This is called treason. This is lying and treasonous. But Jesus said, if anyone loves their mother and father more than me, they're not worthy of me. If anyone loves son or daughter more than me, they are not worthy of me. If you love your own life more than me, you're not worthy of me. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10. That before anything else comes our devotion to the Lord, Yahweh has given you this land. That I know. Yahweh has given you this land and the terror of you has fallen on us. Every person in this city is afraid because we all know that Yahweh has given you this land and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted before you. For we have heard how the Lord Yahweh dried up the water of the Red Sea. That happened 40 years earlier. We've heard about that. This little thing wasn't, you know, going through the sea of reeds and water up to their ankles. No way! Forty years later, they're talking about how millions of people crossed through the Red Sea where there were walls of water on either side. We know about that. We heard this. We know what, what happened with you folks. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, Sion and Og. Just before this, they, they wiped out Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. Every man in that city knew about this, knew about this, these people. For the Lord your God, that's Yahweh your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. She knew it. They knew it. They had the same testimony that she had. 
But they were not walking like she was walking. She would not walk in disobedience. What did it say in Hebrews 11? She, unlike those who walked in disobedience, these others disobeyed the things of the Lord. These others disobeyed the things of the Lord. And this is why they died in that city. The Lord spared her because she acted upon the truth that she knew. The Lord had demonstrated to the people within Canaan that these were the people of God. She spoke of the Lord Yahweh, not of some generic, oh, one of your gods, you know, is gods of, of the of the countryside or God of the water. No, she says, Yahweh, we know it. We know it. Every man in this city knows it. Our hearts melted away. There no courage remained in any man because of you. For the Lord Yahweh, your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Every man in this city knows it. Yes, it was treasonous, but the Lord comes first. This happens many times to people. Doesn't happen a lot in our country. But there are people, when they come to the Lord, they have to deny their families. And I've seen it many times. They come from Jewish backgrounds or from Muslim backgrounds. And they have to deny their families. They say, you know, how can I do this to my family? If you love your mother and father more than me, you're not worthy of me, Jesus said. These are his words, not mine. We deny family for the Lord. The Lord comes first. The Lord comes first. We follow the Lord first. He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a pledge and spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them. Talk about chain migration. <laughs> He's bringing in the whole family. You say, okay, it's all right. We'll take care of your whole family. Spare your whole family. Why didn't she perish? Because she didn't walk like those who walk in disobedience. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Lest we think that this sort of thing doesn't confront us anymore. If you walk in disobedience, your life will become like hell. Because I know it. Here's why. In verse 18 of Romans chapter 1, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For us who know God all the more, who have taken hold of Him, if we take that truth and suppress it, there are real problems. And a lot of times, people are confronted with things that bombard them and say, oh, the scriptures aren't true. And they're bombarded with quote-unquote truth that actually is a suppression of truth. One of the things this young man from A&M, who had formerly been at A&M, had written to me, and he said, he said you know, there, there's, there's no archaeology that shows that the children, that, that, that the Jews came up out of Egypt. No, no archaeology of the patriarchs. Well, remember, they were nomads for 40 years. The only way you know about people is you know because they set up cities and the rocks remain. But then people have analyzed this. Remember I told you people have studied this stuff for thousands of years? You can study the names. You can study the places that are documented. If this had been written in 700 B.C. by a bunch of Jews in Babylon, which is the claim, they never would have known these sort of things. And then you find 
letters, you find uh, messages going from the kings of Canaan to the king of Egypt about all these people that had come out and are coming into the land. Lots of things that are there. And so all it took was to say, all this, this, this stuff that you're reading is fallacious. And then I could refer him to some of the documents on this and he could see the archaeology that documents these types of things. Moreover, they say, well, it was never documented in Egypt. Countries never talk about their defeats. In fact, when, when, when the Britain, Great Britain had a war in the Falkland Islands when, when in my first year of graduate school in 1981, there was a war between Great Britain and, 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 and it occurred in the Falkland Islands. And I was, uh, a few years after that, I, I was working with one of my mentors, which was a, a, in, in the Department of Defense in a defense program, and his name was Admiral Train. He had been head of the Atlantic Command during that war. And he told me that Great Britain had rewritten history. Yes, they won the war, but it was such an abysmal win. They should have just been able to, to, to take the islands in, in like 20 minutes. And he says they've rewritten history. History even gets rewritten today, in these days. But nobody, no culture, the Persians, never documented their defeats. This was normal. So there are answers to all of these sorts of things. But he says, because there's a suppression of truth. He says, for since the creation of the world, in verse 20, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what was made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of a corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And when people tell me, oh, there's all these scholars that think this and think that, I'm thinking, who are these scholars? Who are these scholars? I've read all sorts of stuff. Who are these scholars? Show me what they got. Bring it on. Show me what they've got. And you can just diffuse all sorts of things. And then I meet the scholars and I just ask a few questions and they start getting all defensive. Because they see, you see how quickly these things wither. Professing to be wise, they become fools. They read one document, one document, and they start saying, well, maybe I've been following Jesus for no reason. He says, therefore God gave them over to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. God gave them over to the lusts of their hearts. All of our hearts are filled with lusts and impurities. Who here can testify that that is not so? Who here wants to say that that is not so? That their heart is pure, that they don't have wicked thoughts, that they don't have evil thoughts? Nobody! Our hearts testify against us! That our hearts are filled with lust and, dis and, 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 and trash all over, all the time. And God released them to the lust of their own hearts. In other words, God is there. And He keeps us under His covering. And all He's got to do is say, fine, you don't want it? Step out from under this umbrella of grace and watch what's in your heart come out. It's not like God has to pump all this bad stuff into them. Not at all. The bad stuff's already there. 
He gave them over to the lust of their hearts to impurity so that the bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And then he goes through and he gives a list of the things that they started doing. A list of the things that, that, that they moved into. There are three times, three times in the New Testament. We're not going by the Old Testament because there are a lot of things under the law that we're not under. But in the New Testament, there are three times that the Bible speaks of homosexuality. This is in one chapter, Romans chapter 1. The other two times are in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And then the third time is 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you are an unbeliever, this has nothing to do with you. The Bible is not your authority. But if you call yourself a believer, if you call yourself a believer, there's only three instances where the Bible talks about this. And it doesn't talk about it as if it's any worse than any other sin. It's just all packaged together with lists of other things that are within the heart. You read it. You read it. And you discern for yourself what it says. I make no judgment upon it. Let the word of God speak to you. You're a believer. Let it speak to you. Three instances in the New Testament. Romans chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 1. And then he goes on and he lists a bunch of other things. In verse 28, and they did, they did not see it fit to acknowledge God any longer. So in other words, they knew God, but now they're not acknowledging God any longer. Look what happens. Let me prophesy over your lives if you ever walk away from the faith. I'm not a prophet, but I'm just going to read to you what the Bible says, what happens when you walk away from the faith. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to the depraved, to a depraved mind. In other words, he gave them over to it. They already had it. He says, okay, have it. To do the things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. That's quite a list. But I'll bet you every one of us could read that list and say, yeah, I, I know times in my heart I've had that same thing. Like maybe even this morning I've had a few of those. Our hearts bear witness against us. But there is a holding back of this when we stay under the umbrella of grace. When you step out from grace, these things will start to manifest in your life. And you'll see bitterness takes over. It doesn't take long at all. Not at all. In fact, one sleep-deprived night can bring out a lot of these. And although they, knew, they know the ordinance of God, those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. Remember I said when people fall away, they don't fall away quietly? They don't, also, they don't just want you to say, okay, you know, to each his own. They want you to celebrate with them in these behaviors. They want you to celebrate with them in these behaviors. He gives quite a list here. Quite a list. This is what happens. In Jericho, everyone that disobeyed the truth that was revealed to them died physically. He's warning the Hebrews. He's warning the Jews in, in Judea. You turn away from these things, you're going to die physically. I'm warning you. You turn away from these things, your life is going to become 
miserable. Just miserable. You'll experience hell on earth when you're turned over to what's in your own heart. Let's pray. Abba Father, I thank you so much for your word and the truth of it. And I pray, Lord, for these young people that you would put the fear of God in them. That if they were to deny the faith and walk away from you, that they'd be turned over to their own depraved minds. Father, I pray that this would serve as a day of warning to them to not walk away from the faith, to not deny the Lord, to not suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Father, I pray that they would stand, that they would take your, the word of God and make it their daily meditation, or they too will become tossed about by the things of this world. Protect them, I pray. The covering of the Lord Jesus Christ beyond them, I pray. And Father, for those here who do not know you, who have no ability over these things because the Holy Spirit is not resident within them, Father, I pray that this very day they would say, Father, forgive me, forgive me, because I am a sinner. I'm a sinner. Come into my life and fill me with the Holy Spirit. And in that, that they would have victory over sin. The grace of God be with them, I pray, for the glory of Jesus. Amen.